0: And this we know in the journey of life. Whether green rolling hills, or the deserts bare and dry, in all things God works for our good. For those who love the Lord. In the lush, verdant valleys Where we walk sure and strong Or the rugged terrain unsafe and long God has promised his help Fear not, I will guide you Take my hand, for my promises are true And this we know in the journey of life Whether green rolling hills Or the deserts bare and dry In all things God works for our good For those who love the Lord In the seasons of life Times of joy or despair, victory and defeat. I know the plans I have for you, says your God plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future Believe in me, trust in me, For I am your God And this we know in the journey of life Whether green rolling hills For the desert's bare and dry In all things God works for our good For those who love the Lord In all things God works for our good For those who love the Lord
1: Joshua and Diana, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, John chapter 12 in our Bibles this morning. What a wonderful song that was to be reminded of that everything that God brings into our lives and allows into our lives is ultimately for our good. Those who are the called according to His purpose, those that love Him, and uh, that is a wonderful truth. Um, it's a hard truth because um, all of the things that God brings into our lives are not always easy. Um, may not always seem like success. Uh, may be very, very trying, very, very difficult. And, uh, and yet everything that he brings into our lives is for our good and for his glory. We can know that. We can trust in that. And he does that because he loves us. He loves us. Here in John chapter 12, we're going to see a wonderful illustration this morning of that song. Last week, as we studied through the beginning of chapter 12, we were considering the different responses that we can have, that people in general can have to the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw the service of Martha, and uh, how she served the Lord, and just always so hospitable, and um, and I would even say gracious, merciful, caring, uh, willing to put herself out, extend herself beyond maybe even what was reasonable to serve and to care for others, and we saw how she served the Lord. We also saw Mary, and uh, in particular, that gracious gift, that generous gift that um, uh, abundant gift. It was giving to the max. Uh, and in, in essence, she gave a year's worth of income in one, um, in one gift to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw how she responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember how we saw the selfishness of Judas and the hypocrisy. Uh, this could have been sold and given to the poor, you remember, but you remember how John identified, the Holy Spirit identified for us that it wasn't because he wanted to give it to the poor. It was because he wanted to steal it for himself. He was a selfish man, Judas was, and he was an apostate. He, he was face-to-face with the truth for so many years. He listened to Jesus talk and teach. He saw Jesus do miracles. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and not many months from that point, he's trying to rob jesus of worship that was rightfully his and judas didn't care if jesus was god or not judas was going to live his life for him and uh, that's something that every one of us are faced with decisions that we make throughout a week are we going to live surrendering to the lord jesus christ worshiping him serving him doing his will or are we going to you know what God may be God and heaven's coming and there's consequences for how we live our lives in this earth and there's reward for how we live our lives in this earth. But you know what? I'm gonna live for me and I'm gonna live for me today. I'm gonna live for me this week. And you know what? Let the chips fall where they may someday. That's a scary way to live. That's, by the way, that's the way Judas lived his life. That's the way Judas lived his life and that's how he responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. We also saw the hatred of those uh, religious leaders of Israel, we, we, we've seen this consistently throughout the, the gospel according to John, just this intense hatred and it was growing as the years went on and Jesus continued to teach and uh, of course we also saw that many believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So in John 12, Jesus is within a week of dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world only five days away from becoming our Passover, and this morning, I want to consider what is often called the triumphal entry of Jesus. Uh, this uh, passage of Scripture and other passages like it, and the other accounts of the Gospels are often preached on what we would call Palm Sunday. You know the Sunday where the Sunday before Easter or Resurrection Sunday, the Sunday where your children and grandchildren come out waving uh, little pieces of green paper, that at one point represented palm leaves, you know, and uh, that Sunday. It's a little early. Count. We're a little off on our calendar here uh, because we're coming into the Thanksgiving and now Christmas season soon in December. But it's often called the triumphal entry, entry. But I would say this, and it was triumphant because Jesus was in absolute control of what was taking place. In everything that was taking place, Jesus, in full surrender as a man, to the will of his Father, as God, he was in absolute control of everything that was taking place. So in that sense, it was triumphant. But I would submit to you that Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem was an entrance of full surrender. Not to the religious leaders and their hatred for him and their desire to kill him. But Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was one of full surrender to the will of his Father. Jesus came on this day back into Jerusalem, and hosannas were shouted, hallelujahs, I imagine, were shouted. Uh, praise was given to him by genuine followers and worshipers of him, but also there was this undercurrent of hatred with the religious leaders. Then there was this middle group in the middle. Between the religious leaders who hated him and those genuine believers and disciples of Jesus, there was a middle group, and a very large group, by the way, who wanted a revolution. They wanted to throw off the Roman government. They were tired of living life the way they'd been living it. And they looked at Jesus as a political messiah, and they cried, Hosanna, loud and long, repeatedly. And while everything was out of the religious leader's control, everything everything was out of the control of all the others, everything was well within the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day to commence a week that would culminate in his death on a cross. And he knew when he rode into Jerusalem that day that this was the end for him. At least in that life, so that you, I want to read a hymn to you uh, before we read our text. And um, you don't need to turn there. Uh, 491 is where I'm going to read it. It's entitled, Is Your All on the Altar? And with in, in mind what I've just told you, that Jesus, with full surrender, rode on that donkey, that colt of a donkey, into Jerusalem, I'm going to read this. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase. And have earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Would you walk with the Lord in the light of His Word and have peace and contentment alway? You must do His sweet will to be free from all ill. On the altar, your all must be laid. Oh, we never can know what the Lord will bestow of the blessings for which we have prayed. Till our body and soul he doth fully control, and our all on the altar is laid. Who can tell all the love he will send from above, and how happy our hearts will be made? Of the fellowship sweet we shall share at his feet, when our all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control? You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. You know, we, many of us this morning would call ourselves Christians, little Christ. We would consider ourselves to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the peace and the sweet rest and the contentment and satisfaction of life, even on this earth, comes as we fully surrender our will to our Heavenly Father's will. And that is what I see in this passage. Let's look at John 12. I'll begin reading in verse number 13, or verse 12. John chapter 12 and verse 12. It says, on the next day, and this would have been after Mary Mary has worshiped and Martha has served. On the next day, it says, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. And these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. They were were with him in his entourage, and they're giving testimony and saying, yes, this is Jesus. He's the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. Verse 18, for this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. So just very quickly, you have Jesus coming down out of the Mount of Olives. He's got this group of people who had been there when Lazarus was raised from the dead, but... Their word has traveled faster than they can. So now you have all these people coming out of the eastern gate of Jerusalem to meet Jesus who's raised this man from the dead. Look at verse number 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how he prevail nothing? Behold, the whole world has gone after him. And there was certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And the same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hated his life in this world shall keep it unto unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, Jesus says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said, that it thundered. Others said, an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. this... He said, signifying what death he should die. And the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you, and he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Let's pray together. Dearly, Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us by your Holy Spirit out of your word. Father, I pray that this congregation would be characterized as a church um, that knows full surrender. Father, I pray that we would say no to our flesh, that we would say no to this world, that we would say no to immediate gratification, what may seem like a little bit of peace, a little bit of relief, and some of us, Father, may be desperate for those things, and we're going our own way. But Lord, when we go our own way, we are not following our Savior and our Lord. So Father, may you help us. To better know how we ought to live as we examine and consider how Jesus lived uh, while he was here on this earth. Teach us, I pray, by your spirit, and I will praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, traditionally, Palm Sunday is a day, uh, I think, filled with meaning for believers. It's a day of hosannas, right? The small children with their little palm leaves Um, It's a day of remembering Jesus as king. We think of him as that. Um, It's a day to remember Jesus entering Jerusalem to the praise of people. And we like that idea because there wasn't an awful lot of that during Jesus' earthly ministry. And I will tell you, they did hail Jesus as king. They did. Um, Many did. Thousands, I believe. Thousands upon thousands hailed him as king on this particular day. I think the hearts of the people were filled with anticipation. Uh, they had awaited, awaited a long, long time for the arrival of the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. There's a lot of hope. There was a lot of hope on that day. I think the resurrection of Lazarus, as we've already read, galvanized in the minds of people that this was. Jesus was the Messiah. He's the promised one. Uh, He is the one we have waited for for all of these years. He's going to rule and reign as king of kings. And um, he has the power to raise a man from the dead. He has the power to put the Roman oppressors to death, if he so chooses. I think there was that kind of confidence in Jesus on this particular day. But while this day was filled with hope, and while there were many hosannas that were shouted toward Jesus on this day, It was only going to be five days where the hosannas and the praise would turn to indifference. And I would go beyond that and say even hatred for Jesus. Jesus would be crucified by a bloodthirsty mob made up of the very same people who were hailing him as king on this day. It's on this day that Jesus, the king, entered into Jerusalem, but he didn't come to reign he came to die. Now, it was a triumphant entry, triumphal entry. I have mentioned this already because he was in control. Another account of the Gospels talks about him cleansing the temple again, showing his authority. Um, and he says that his house shall be called a house of prayer, and it's not going to be a den of thieves, you remember. So it, he was in control. All power belonged to him on this day. Make no mistake about that, but it was an entry of surrender. Not to the people who wanted to kill him, but to his father. And and so consider with me, as Jesus entered into the most famous city on earth, Jerusalem, and he hears the hosannas and he hears the praise, but being God, Jesus also would have known of the coming hatred. And he would have known that they there was an antagonistic feeling and Group of people, he would have known that some of those who were saying, Hosanna, were saying it for all the wrong reasons. They were saying it for themselves. Throw off the Roman government. Save us now is what they were saying, but not salvation from death and hell, not because they viewed themselves as sinners in need of a Savior, but because themselves as citizens that had been robbed of the rights that they deserved. Sometimes I think we approach God that same way. Lord, would you save us? Would you deliver us so that we can live the life that we deserve to live and have the happiness and the health and the enjoyment and the peace that we deserve? Now up to this point, Jesus has been avoiding a a public confrontation with the religious leaders of Israel. You remember, he's been disappearing, he's been going out, he's been staying north of Jerusalem, he's not been in Judea very much. It hadn't been the Father's time for Jesus to die yet, but now it was time. This was the week that God had ordained to pay the price for the sins of the whole world. Jesus knew that the enthusiasm and the worship of the people toward him was going to enrage the religious leaders. And we get a sense of that. You might have noticed that as we read. They make the statement, the whole world has gone after him. (laughs) I gotta tell you, I kinda like that. They were out of their minds. They were so mad. They were so disgusted. They had rejected and hated him. And they looked around and everything was out of their control. He was in absolute control. Now remember, the Sanhedrin at Jerusalem had wanted to kill Jesus to such an extent that they were actually putting together a plan to kill him. Do you remember that? But they didn't want it at this time. They didn't want it over the Passover. They didn't want it with all these people. I mean, with all the people that came to Jerusalem for the Passover, historians account that... Uh, there might have been as many as over 2.5 million people in Jerusalem. The place was absolutely packed. I mean, people didn't all have a place to stay. This was not, this was not the week that they had in mind. And also, I, I appreciate knowing that because, again, it wasn't they who killed Jesus. It wasn't even the Jews who killed him. It wasn't ultimately the Roman soldiers who killed him. Jesus gave his life for you and for me willingly because he loved us, and he loved he loved all of us. And so Jesus, in submission to the will of his Father, is bringing this crisis to pass right on time. And I want to walk our way through the passage, look back to verse number 12, and notice, first of all, that Jesus presents himself Um, to die. Jesus presents himself to die. You could say it another way. You could call it his fateful presentation. Look at verse number 12 again. It says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. But we notice here Uh, that Jesus is presenting himself. Now, there's quite an entourage of people with Jesus. Don't forget that. Some were genuine followers and disciples of Jesus. I believe that Mary might well have been in that entourage, and Martha, and Lazarus, and maybe Simon the leper, the former leper, you know. know. Um, There were people who had been healed by him. There were people who believed in him, who had listened as he taught, and loved his words, and they were words of life to them. And, uh, and so there you have these genuine lovers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Jesus' disciples were there. Um, so Jesus has been attracting these people along the way as he's doing miracles and he's teaching. He's been trekking south from Galilee. He's passed through Jericho. You remember giving sight to the blind? And these sort of things would have attracted more and more people. And as Jesus approaches the slopes, is really coming down the slopes of the Mount of Olives, he's attracted quite a crowd. And most of these people would have been entirely convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, convinced. There was no doubt in their minds. they had heard his teaching and preaching. They'd listened to his wisdom. They had heard Jesus' questions confound the most brilliant leaders religious leaders of their day. They had seen his miracles. They knew his ability to raise the dead. And so there's plenty of evident, evidence for them to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So now as they come down from the Mount of Olives, they're crossing the Brook Kidron. the And, uh, and the gospel accounts record for us how The crowd in Jerusalem had heard about what had happened and the crowd there was growing and the excitement would have been something that you could taste, you could feel. And the gospel accounts of this event tell us that the people began to throw palm branches and garments in front of Jesus to make a pathway. And really what that was, was they were signifying that Jesus was king. That's what they were doing. They were declaring by their actions, Jesus is king. And out of the eastern gate comes this massive crowd of people spilling out of the eastern gate who had heard that Jesus was coming. The news of the resurrection of Lazarus had gone throughout the city of Jerusalem. Again, you have 2.5 million people in Jerusalem. This is not a small event. and Not all of them were here, but thousands of people are spilling out of the eastern gate, coming out to meet, probably in the Kidron Valley area, where Jesus is coming down riding on this donkey, this colt. We have this large people, group of people walking with Jesus, and this large group of people can meet, pouring out of Jerusalem to meet Jesus, and these two crowds full of excitement and enthusiasm are converging into one crowd, and it's interesting to me that Jesus is accepting it as they hail him as Messiah and king. Now, that's different. That's a change. Remember what happened at the, at the feeding of the 5,000? They wanted to make him king then. They began to talk about it, what did he do? he disappeared. He got out of there. But not this time. He allows it to happen. I think in one one reason for it, him allowing it to happen was not because he was going to set himself up as king. We know that doesn't happen. Why does he allow it? I think part of the reason was to, to antagonize the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And I don't mean it so he could snicker at them. I'm I mean, he allowed it to happen knowing that they would, they would respond in such a rage and so irrationally that they would want to put him to death this week. This was all within God's timing. And so we see this fateful presentation of Jesus. Jesus was presenting himself to die. Look at verse 13. They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. The word Hosanna there is not a term of worship. It's a demand. It, it, it could, has the idea of save now. Save now. I suppose um, out of the right heart, it could be a term of worship and, and salvation. But it wasn't on this particular day. They say, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And they're quoting from an Old Testament passage. They're looking at Jesus. Many of these people are looking at Jesus as a political Messiah. Save us now. Throw off the Romans! We're with you! So you have, you have a, really several groups here. You've got the genuine worshipers of Jesus who, are frankly, are confused. And I'll point that out, and we'll see that from the passage. And you have this group of people who just want a political revolution. And here's a man who can feed thousands of people in one sitting out of next to nothing... You got a man who can raise people from the dead and make blind people see and make lame people walk again. And you know what? He's going to rule and reign as king and we're going to throw off these Romans and get our lives back to the state where we think our lives ought to be. I also noticed there's a fulfillment of prophecies. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh. Sitting on an ass's colt. You have a a fulfillment of prophecies, as I see it in this passage. The people were actually quoting from Psalm 118, in verse 26, the beginning part where it says, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It's the last of the Hallel Psalms, which was known as the Conqueror's Psalm. You see where the minds of these people were. Hosanna! Hosanna! And they're quoting the conqueror's psalm. Now, there was some confusion here because Jesus was riding on a donkey. He was riding on a colt, which would have been obvious to anybody who was paying attention that he had not come to conquer because conquerors don't ride on colts of donkeys, And that isn't just true in the biblical sense, it's true in the historical sense. Conquerors don't ride on donkeys, and Jesus was not coming to conquer, he was coming to die. But the people were believing that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and they believed he was the Messiah. 600 years earlier, Zechariah the prophet had said that the Messiah would come riding upon the foal of a donkey. In fact, he said it this way, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a a colt the foal of an ass. Now this is a very exact and specific prophecy given 600 years earlier. And they saw Jesus as the Messiah. They saw him as their king. They saw him as their deliverer from the oppression of Rome from the lives they didn't like. They saw Jesus as, the, as a way to get rid of what they didn't like about their lives and a way to get what they wanted for themselves. In ancient times, when a king would ride a horse, specifically a white horse, it was for the purpose of conquering. And when a king would ride a donkey, it was a public display of peace. No Roman soldier on this day would have looked at Jesus Although there were people thronging all around him, no Roman soldier looked at Jesus on this day riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey and thought, here comes a conqueror, we need to be on guard. You know, there's coming a day, though, when Jesus is going to ride on a white horse. You know that. And while this day was not that day, there is coming a day where Jesus is going to return on a white horse. I'll read to you about it in Revelation 19, in verse 11, it says this, And I saw heaven... And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite. That with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to return, and He's going to actually ride a white horse, and He's going to come as a conqueror. And he's going to be a threat to the world. To those who hate him. To those who reject him. But on this particular day, in John chapter 12, Jesus did not come on a white horse. He did not come to be their political deliverer. He did not come to save everybody from the lives that they didn't, that the lives that were theirs, but the lives they didn't want to live. That's not why he came He came to save us from our sins. He came to die the death that we, that each of us deserved. That's why he came on this particular day. He came not to bring war, but to bring peace. Not to kill, but to be killed. And so Jesus was the fulfillment of these prophecies. And as Jesus rode closer to the city of Jerusalem, Luke chapter 19, another account of the Gospels, John does not include this in his account, but in Luke 19 and verse 41, uh, Luke records that Jesus wept. It says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. He's got all these people around him. And they're laying palm branches in front of him. And they're laying their garments in front of him. And he's riding on this cold this, this of a donkey. And he looks at Jerusalem and he begins, to he begins to cry. You know, none of this made sense to Jesus' disciples. I have to say that. If Jesus is going to be killed, then why all the hosannas? I mean, Jesus has just told them, I'm going to die. And it's been so clear. Do you remember what Thomas said? When Jesus said, you know what, let's go to Bethany. What did did Thomas say? "Oh, Oh, all right. I guess let's all go with him and we'll all die with him. I mean, none of them thought, let's go back to Jerusalem, it'll be great. But now, what's all the confusion here? They went back to Bethany. Lazarus is raised from the dead. They go away for a little while, come back to Bethany's house of Simon the leper. There's this worship. Judas is, who knows what Judas is doing. There's all this confusion. Now we're going down in Jerusalem for the Passover, and and people are just coming out of the woodwork, and they're saying, Hosanna! And and if if Jesus is going to die, why, why all the Hosannas? And if Jesus is going to live and he's going to reign and rule as all the people seem to want him to rule and reign over them and save them and deliver them, then why is Jesus crying? What is going on? You can imagine their confusion. Why why is he in tears? Well, look at verse number 16. We see their confusion. These things understood not his disciples at the first. There was a lot of confusion. But when Jesus was glorified then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these th- things unto him you know it seems like the disciples were perplexed so often you ever find yourself like that going through life what is going on what's going on you know when i'm not wanting to stand for righteousness and follow the lord the spirit of god is convicting me to do so and then when i do so and i yield to his surrender or yield to his leading in my life and i fully surrender to him, and I'm going along through life, then challenging things and hard things and hurtful things happen, and, and there's a different sense of, of trial and, and frustration and challenge, and there's a different need to seek the Lord more and anew every morning and trust in him again, and what what is going on? There was such confusion amongst the disciples. These things understood not his disciples at the first I think that statement could have been made just about just about everything that Jesus told them. <laughs> he would say something to them and they didn't understand. They just didn't get it. They had so many preconceptions about what they thought should happen. They couldn't understand it when they were going through it. They just couldn't figure it out. And first Jesus was talking about his death and now he's coming into Jerusalem. He's being hailed as king. It doesn't make any sense And Jesus had just told them that he was going to die. Look at look in chapter twelve, verses seven and eight. Chapter twelve, look back to verse seven and eight. Then said Jesus, Let her alone, speaking to Judas and all the other disciples who jumped on board with him. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this, for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. He's telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they didn't want to believe that Jesus was going to die. They were having a hard time believing it. You remember, again, look back to chapter 11, verse number 16. I referenced it, but look there, chapter 11, verse 16, what, what Thomas said. Jesus is saying, let's go to Bethany. And in verse 16 of chapter 11, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Isn't it wonderful how clear the word of God is? You read that. Jesus says, let's go to Bethany. And it says that Thomas said to who? He didn't say it to Jesus. Yeah, let's go with him. We'll die with him. These were the guys supporting him. Mm. You know, at first they didn't understand it all. But after, it says in verse number 16 in chapter 12, but after Jesus was glorified, they remembered. After he was glorified, they understood. I think verse 16, the latter part, is a wonderful reminder to us of what we have in Christ. Look there, verse number 16, the latter part. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. It was only after he was glorified. What happened when Jesus was glorified? What major event happened when Jesus was he ascended to be with the Father. He went back to be with His Father. What did He send? Who did He send? He sent the Holy Spirit to do what? To teach us all things. To comfort us. To be with us. To go with us. And, and it was years, it was it was some time later. Months later, before uh, they remember. Weeks go by before they remember. But at this point in time, they don't remember. The Spirit of Christ lives inside of us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit couldn't come to us, or couldn't come because Jesus hadn't been glorified yet. He hadn't ascended to be with the Father. But when Jesus was glorified, he sent his Spirit to live within all of those who trust in Christ for salvation. And the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and so we understand the Word of God, and we obey the Word of God. Look over to chapter 14. In John, not far away, chapter 14, look at verse number 26. Chapter 14, verse 26. Of John, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. This is a wonderful blessing to you and to me. And these disciples experienced it. Jesus lives within us to teach us. He lives within us to enable us, to strengthen us, to go through the lives that he has ordained that we live. Look at verse number 17 back in chapter 12. Verse number 17, notice the hypocrisy of the people. The hypocrisy of the people in John 12 and verse number 17 says, The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. So those people, that would have been Lazarus, perhaps, and Mary and Martha, perhaps, and maybe Simon the leper was there, as I mentioned, others. But the people, the disciples certainly, the people who had actually seen it happen, they're here. They're with Jesus at this time in verse number 17. Look at verse 18. I see the hypocrisy of the people or the shallowness of the people. For this cause, the people also met him. So the people out of Jerusalem, why did they come out to meet him? For that they heard that he had done this miracle. I think this is actually a sad thing. I don't think it's an exciting thing. I think there was a lot of excitement there, but I think it's sad. It's one thing to be confused about the truth. It's another thing... To be hypocritical with the truth. And I hope the picture is clear in your mind. Jesus is on this cold with him, with them who have witnessed him raising Lazarus from the dead. And they're coming down out of the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley. They're crossing the Brook Kidron in the valley. And they're ascending again up toward the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And all the way, they're testifying, as we've already read, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the son of David, that he is the king. And their word has spread, and it's gone ahead of them into Jerusalem. And in response to their testimony and to what Jesus had done in raising Lazarus from the dead, we have this mass of people that are pouring out of the eastern gate to meet Jesus. Why? Look at verse 18. Because of what he had done with Lazarus. And to some degree, these people were thrill-seekers. It's kind of like the crowds that would clamor around him in Galilee, in that region. Hey, I'm gonna. Where are you going today, honey? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see what Jesus is up to. I want to see what he's doing. Now, yesterday, he raised this. He raised this guy from the dead. The other day, he made a blind man see. I heard. He, I heard what he did in the other city. I wonder what he's gonna do today. There was this shallow interest, kind of like what happened when he fed the five thousand, and they want to make him king. Why? Because they're they want someone to feed them. I think it was that shallow. I really do. And they go all, some of them go all the way around the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He crosses over with his disciples, and there they are in, in Capernaum. And what do you have? You have these people who show up, and they're like, basically, what's for lunch? What are you going to do for me today? You got something special planned? And, and he, Jesus begins to teach them that he is the bread of life. Do you remember that? And what happens? They say, you know what? These sayings are too hard. I don't. And you know what? They left. They walked away. They walked away. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, what? Are you going to leave me too? Are you going to leave me too? So in a in a sense, you have this rejection of the religious leaders. They just hate him and want him dead. And then you have in the other sense, you have these people who are rejecting him. Oh, they'll clamor around him. They'll 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 come out in masses to watch him do something incredible, impress us, feed us, do something for me. But they didn't love him, and frankly, they didn't know him. And I'll go beyond that; they didn't want to know. Him. They didn't care who he was. It was all about them. They were thrill-seekers. They were enamored with what Jesus could do, but not who Jesus was. Can I ask you this morning, what are you enamored with? What is it that you adore about Jesus, about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you adore him for what he can do? I mean, that's part of who he is. Or do you adore him because of who he is? of who he is i am thankful that he is not like me we all have flesh in this room that is contrary to the word of god contrary to the spirit of christ that lives within us sometimes we love our flesh more than we love him and every one of us in this room at times sows to the flesh we make the decision to go along with the inclination of our flesh and it can seem awfully strong and even overwhelming at times but you know at the end of the day i love him and i am so glad he is not like me not like my flesh i'm so glad he is holy and righteous and just and he always does what is right he's always merciful and he's always gracious he's always loving i love him What kind of a follower are you? What can he do for me today? Or are you the follower that says, Though it slay me, still will I trust in him? If I lose everything in this life, if he takes my health away, I will still love him and worship him. He is the Christ, he is God. The religious leaders are frustrated. Look at verse number nineteen. I notice the frustration of the religious leaders. It says the Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, "Perceive ye how he ye prevail nothing? Behold, the whole the, the world is gone after him. The world, everyone, they're all gone after him. And again, I I think they're just you know they got all their regalia on. and, and they're just fuming. I mean, they are on fire." They hate him. Now, some of these guys are going to get saved. Okay, you read on in chapter twelve; you'll find that. But many of them are not going to trust Christ, and they will see him; they will happily see him crucified. But they're frustrated with Jesus, and, and they're about to lose their minds. I think their their hatred for Jesus have been growing by leaps and bounds over these years, and why Jesus had been opposing their hypocrisy. Have you ever had someone tell you you're a hypocrite? Has that ever happened? We don't, I don't, it's not thrown around often. But has anyone ever said, you're a hypocrite? I mean, even me just asking you if someone's asked you or identified you as a hypocrite, it's kind of like, whew, don't go there. Well, they were upset. These guys were upset, these religious leaders, because Jesus had called them out point blank. You are pretenders. You are frauds. You are hypocrites through and through. You are hirelings. What you do, you do for money and you do for power. You don't love these people. You don't care for them and you don't love God. You don't love his word. They hated him. They didn't respond in humility. Yes, we are. Yes, we're sinners. We need a savior. No, no, no. We are the children of Abraham. So they they hated him because he had opposed their hypocrisy. They had a, he had he had uh, ripped the mask off of their false teaching. He had identified them as being self righteous and being selfish and abusing the people. They're they're hating Jesus so much that they've convened and concocted a plan to kill him. Look back to chapter eleven and verse forty seven. Chapter 11, verse 47. It says there, Then gathered the chief priests, in verse 47, and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doth do with many miracles. And in verse 48, they say, If we let him alone, all men will re- believe on him. And this, in verse chapter 12, what we're seeing is, to them, it looked like their worst fear was coming, coming about. The whole world's gone after him. This was their worst nightmare because Jesus opposed them. And if all the people followed him and he overthrew the Roman government or somehow got a position, what were they going to lose? They were going to lose their position. They were going to lose their power. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Caiaphas, the high priest, is involved in this. Look down to verse number 57, still in chapter 11, verse 57. Now, both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. So they they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. And now everything's out of their control. They can't stop the people from liking him. Thousands upon thousands of people are thronging around Jesus. They're hailing him as the promised one. They believe that he's the Messiah. Um, in, in, In Luke chapter 19, verse 39, it tells us that They tried to get Jesus to stop. The euphoria, it says, And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. You can see their frustration. They wanted to kill him, but they can't as long as he's popular. As long as the crowd and the masses are supporting him, they can't kill him. And they're frustrated at Jesus' popularity, and they're intimidated by the crowd's acceptance of Jesus. They can't do anything about it at all. And I see their frustration. Look at verse number twenty. I noticed some of these there's a group of people, fairly small group in in light of the size of everyone else, but there's this fairly small group of Greeks. And they're actually genuine seekers of God. Look at verse number twenty. In chapter twelve it says, And there was a certain there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. So they, these Greeks are coming to worship at the Passover. They're worshiping God. Verse 21, the same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So you have, you have these people, these Greeks, these Gentiles. They're not Jews, but they're in Jerusalem for the Passover. They're, they're worshipers of God, genuinely seeking the truth, genuinely seeking the creator of heaven and earth. Genuinely seeking to worship God. And they, they come here and, in, and they, they come to uh, Philip and they say, Sir, we would see Jesus. We want to talk with him. We want the truth. Tell us what's going on here. They weren't like the rest of the crowd. They weren't like the Pharisees who just wanted another sign, another miracle. They weren't like the masses who wanted a revolution against the Roman government. The Jews never asked this question. They never asked this question, Sir... We would see Jesus. When I used to travel in evangelism, there were many pulpits that had that part of of this verse inscribed on the pulpit. Sir, we would see Jesus. Not you as a preacher. We would see the Lord. That's why we're gathered here together. To reveal the truth about God, to look at his word. This was a group of people who were actually interested in who Jesus really was. And how do I know what they wanted to know? Well, because of how Jesus answers them. At least they were within earshot of his answer. Look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, if we just stopped there, what would that communicate to us? The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. You got, all, you got thousands of people. Hosanna! The Messiah is here! The King is here! There's, there's this, in, this intensity and electricity in Jerusalem and in the air around, around Jesus. you got the people who are genuine worshipers of him. you got these people who just want a revolution. you got the anger of the Pharisees. you got got all this electricity in the air. And Jesus' first statement to the Greeks is, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if I'm them, I'm thinking, he's going to go for it. He's gonna, there, there is going to be a revolution. This is, this is getting a little out of control here. But Look what he says, how he is going to be glorified. Verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much Jesus basically said this, for me to be glorified, I'm going to have to die. And again, I submit to you that this triumphant, triumphal entry, while it was triumphant, because he was in, it was an entry of submission and surrender to the will of his father. And he says to us here in verse 24, he's going to have to die. And can I say this to you out of the context of the passage here just to tell this to you? because Jesus is about to make the application to them who would be followers of him. If you and I are going to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we to die to self. There are many in this room, and we would say we want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. We want to have an impact for the glory of God. And I tell you this more of an impact. The impact that God would want us to have as long as we are unwilling to die to ourself. By ourself, I mean our selfish desires. And every one of us in this room have those. Every one of us have those stinking mm, selfish desires. There can be no glory. There can be no glory without suffering. No fruitful life without suffering death. Dying to self. You know, I think in a very real sense, the children of God are like a seed. Uh, like a kernel or a, a grain of wheat. A seed is weak. Right? Your wife puts it out on your plate. There you go. I'll be right back. I've got to go put gas in the vehicle. Okay. No, a seed is weak, it's useless by itself, but when it dies, it becomes fruitful. If a seed could talk, it might complain of having to be put into the cold, dark earth. Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to endure this? This is just too much. This is asking too much. You know, God's asking you as his child, As a follower of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's asking you and me, die to yourself. Yeah, but I deserve better than this. No one should be expected to go through what I'm going through. You know, my life would be happier if I could just do this. I'm not even asking to forsake the Lord. I'll still believe in his word. I'll still include church if I could just please have a little bit of my way. Christ is saying, if you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to have to say no to me. A seed can never fulfill its purpose without dying. So we ought to allow God to plant us so that his life can spring forth and produce much fruit. You know, I can't bear much fruit if I won't die to self. You know, I want to serve God, you say. I want to serve him. But you can't bear much fruit if you won't die to self. Look what he says in verse 25. He that loveth his life. Suke, life, means soul. He that loveth his own soul. He that loveth his own life shall lose it. Now, who's he talking to? What group of people? They're Gentiles, but specifically what group? Do you remember? Who are they? He's talking to Greeks. Or at least within earshot. They're the ones who are saying, "We would see Jesus." And the Greeks had a culture that was consumed with pleasing self. We use a we use a term for this when we say to one another, "Hey, enjoy yourself." You know, you send your husband off; he's going to go hunting, whether you like it or not, right? So you pretend to like it, and what do you say? Hey, enjoy yourself, and. Uh, Some of the ladies got together some weeks ago for, what was it, Um, craft day. It just brings stress into my body. (laughs) Craft day. But you all love it. You have a great time. Craft day. And what did you husbands say to your wives? Go enjoy yourself. Go and enjoy yourself, right? Go somewhere else and enjoy yourself with your crafts. All right, we're gonna move on from that. Um, but that was the Greek culture. Go enjoy yourself. And I'm not preaching against enjoying life, okay? Things, God created things for our enjoyment. okay So please don't go, don't, don't embrace the uh, Islamic, Idea or Catholic idea that, you know what, if I'm going to please God, I need to be miserable. I need to really maim myself in some way so that God will be pleased. That's not the God of the Bible. Okay? Do you understand that? That is not the God of the Bible. But nor is this culture, and it's American culture to a degree someday, and the Greeks had the idea that, you know what, you need to be self-oriented, you need to go out there, you need to take care of yourself. You need to live for you. You need to do what you want. You need to make your own. Uh, I even heard an advertisement the other day something about who you are today. Like that could change. Fulfill yourself for who you are today. I'm like, I'm getting a brain freeze. You know, it's like one of those 7 Eleven brain freezes. You get those big slurpees. You can't even, like, who we are today. We're not even, it's not even who we are, it's just who we are today. I'm just this person today. Who knows what I'll want tomorrow? I mean this could get a little out of control, and it has. All right? But he says here he that loveth his life, his soul, he'll lose it. You will suffer loss. And he that hateth his life in this world, hateth his selfishness, is the idea, hateth his fleshly desires in this world, shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. If you're going to do my will, Jesus says, you're going to have to follow me. What's the context? You're going to have to be willing to be planted. You're going to have to be willing to die to yourself. Yeah, but Pastor Ferguson, this is my vision for my life. This is how I want to serve the Lord. This is what I want to be to be happy if, you know what, I'm still, God's included in all of this. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to serve me, if you're going to do my will, you're going to have to follow me in my example of dying. Where I am, there, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Folks, there is honor and praise and glory from your heavenly father awaiting you. For when you and me, we die to self. Pastor Ferguson, but this week I was so tempted. And somehow, by the grace of God, I declined that temptation and I did what was right. But, Pastor Ferguson, I felt like a failure, how intense the temptation was. I did not succumb, but oh, I, I felt so, I, I, I've talked to the Lord enough. You know what? God is honored when you die to self. And that happens throughout this, that'll happen throughout this next week to come. All over this church, there will be temptations that you and I face, and God will be glorified in honor, and there is praise and reward in heaven for when you die to self. He says in verse 27 Now is my soul troubled. He knew what was about to happen. He knew what was about to happen, taking the sins of the whole world upon his body. He knew what was in the crowd. Hosanna! Save us now! Maybe he'll make lunch too. But he knew what was in their hearts. Five days. Crucify him! Crucify him! Same people. Five days. Give us Barabbas! Barabbas! Five days. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. And there are some folks in this room and our souls are troubled because there's a conflict. There's a trial. We're going through what God has ordained that we go through. Notice what he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And I submit to you there are two things that we can pray as we go through the trials and challenges of this life. We can say, God, would you save me? God, would you deliver me? Would you take this trial away from me? Jesus says this, but for this cause came I unto this hour. What am I going to say? God, would you deliver me from, from being planted, from suffering, from saying no to self? From, are, am I going to ask God, God, would you keep me from death, from this crucifixion, from, from becoming the sin's, for the sins for the whole world, Jesus says, I can't do that. This is the reason he sent me. This is the reason he has me here. This is my ministry. And I submit to you that God knew before he ever created the heavens and the earth, before you were ever born, before you were ever even a thought, your mom and dad, God already had planned what he was going to have you go through. And your role and my role is not to die for the sins of the whole world. And years ago, when you said, I surrender all, or even before that, when you said, Lord, would you save me from my sins? Give me heaven. Forgive me. God had a plan for you. For you. But you're going to have to die yourself. There's another prayer we could pray, and this is what we ought to pray in verse 28. He said, instead... He's going to pray this, Father, glorify Thy name. That's what we ought to pray, Lord. I understand what You've set before me in part, Lord. I can't change it. I've done everything I possibly can. I've used Your Word; it's wisdom, and yet things are not changing in my life. This is, seems to be what You've ordained that I go through. So, Lord, I'm not going to ask You to save me from the pain, because I understand, Lord, that You've actually ordained that I go through it, but Lord. Please do one thing as I go through it. Would you please glorify your name? Lord, would you please magnify your name? God, would you please exalt yourself? Let my suffering not be in vain. We ought to pray this way. Glorify your name. We ought to pray for our children this way. Glorify yourself and my children. Then came a voice from heaven, it says in verse 28, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. We're still in the process of that happening. And I, he says, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. No one else had a clue. He knew he would be crucified. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light. Lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Look at verse 36, the beginning part. While ye have light, believe in the light. Why? That ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Are you willing, do you want to serve the Lord? Because if you do, you have to follow Jesus. There is no other way. The context is you're going to have to die. You're going to have to suffer. There's going to be a war within you between your flesh and the Holy Spirit of God. And you're going to have to say no to your flesh. And it will be, you'll have to do it different times. It will be more intense. You may have to do it again and again and again. But you will be a follower of Christ, saying no to self, dying to self. I want to serve God. This was an entry, triumphant yes, of full surrender yes. Yes. I'm going to ask you to take your hymnal, stand to your feet if you would. I'm going to ask you to turn to hymn number one, or 491. 491. We're going to sing all four stanzas. 491.